Hello and welcome to Axles in the Attic. This is a six-part podcast series where we're going to look at the history of figure skating through a different lens. Uh, if you've read books about figure skating, you've certainly heard about Sonia Henney. You've heard about Dick Button. You've heard about the 1961 plane crash. Uh, and you've heard just so many interesting stories about skating history, but there's so many that are untold. So my name is Ryan Stevens. Ryan Stevens. I am a figure skating blogger from Halifax, Nova Scotia, and I'm teaming up with the wonderful Allison Manley of the Manly Woman Skate Cast. Hi, everybody. Hey, Allison. And <laughs> Hi, I'm do. waving to you from Chicago. <laughs> I love it. So what we're going to do is we're actually going to share with you six stories from skating history that you've probably never heard, and we're going to breathe some new life into the past and put together Allison's incredible skills as a podcaster and my skills as a researcher and really try to introduce you to some new stories. So I hope that you enjoy Callie C. Curtis, 19th century drag queen on ice. <laughs> All right, are we ready? I think we're ready. All right. Well, I'm so excited. Thank you so much, Ryan, for having me here. I I thought this was a great idea when you called me and asked me if I'd like to partner up with you and do this, and I'm I'm thrilled. So I think it's going to be a blast. I think it is going to be a blast, especially when drag queens on ice are involved. So <laughs> I know. All right. So I'll get started. Callie C. Curtis, although not formally recognized as either the U.S. or North American championships by today's standards, the Skating Club of New York was hosting international competitions dating as far back as the 1860s called the Championships of America, the first two of which were won by figure skating pioneer Jackson Haynes. However, Haynes wasn't the only American-born men's skater who was turning heads at these competitions. Less than a decade later, a Chicago native thank you very much, Chicago, named Callie C. Curtis, began his utter domination of quote-unquote fancy skating at these events, winning his first of five consecutive championships of America in 1869. Curtis was born April 24, 1848, in Chicago. He was perhaps best known for his design of a figure skating figure, school figure, called the Curtis Star, which was described by E.T. Goodrich in the February 3rd, 1889 edition of the Elmira Telegram as one of the prettiest and most difficult figures I ever saw cut on the ice. Nobody could accomplish it with the ease and grace that characterized his efforts, and it was finally called the Curtis Star. It was formed in three parts. First, there was the circle. This he did by the simple inside edge, forward toe step. At the completion of the circle, the skater would jump back clear of the circle so as to leave no marks inside of or across the circle. Then the plain star was made by standing with one foot at the point. Curtis would let his left foot run a little farther away from the right. The drawing it in would bear hard on the heel of the right. As far as technical innovations, George Brown also credits Curtis with introducing European skaters to the Mohawk. 
So do you think, Ryan, that you have a picture of this Curtis star that we could put up on the, the transcript? I do, yes. Yeah. Excellent. Um, with, yeah, so with all of these podcasts, we're going to put up um, we're going to put up materials with the transcript. So we'll have a full transcript, and we'll also have some show notes with pictures, in some cases a video if we can come across something that fits. So you'll have to check that out. On um, We'll have that online, and we'll link to that with the show. Fantastic. All right. Thanks. Perfect. We're continuing on. On March 15, 1869, Curtis handed a resounding defeat in the men's event to defending championships of America champion Frank Swift in Rochester, New York. An account from Julian T. Fitzgerald's History on Ice and Roller Skating from 1916, which was graciously provided by Karen Cover at the U.S. Figure Skating Museum, explained it this way. Frank Swift was then champion of America, having won the diamond medal the previous year at Allegheny City, Pennsylvania, February 6, 1868. Twice he had successfully defended his title, but the Chicago boy was too much for him, and he had to bow to his superior. When Mr. Curtis was declared the winner by a score of 47 points to 41, Mr. Swift took his defeat manfully and skated up to Mr. Curtis and pinned the diamond medal on his breast. The story had been a little different less than a month earlier when Curtis caused quite a stir in the city, donning his finest drag and entering a ladies' figure skating competition. The February 20th, 1869 edition of the New York Clipper gives a full account of the spectacle. The skating public of Buffalo and Rochester were the victims of a cell of the largest dimensions and most thorough description during the week ending February 6th. A hoax of so laughable a character, however, that they, that they could not allow their angry passions to rise against the perpetrators. <laughs> it turns out that Miss Godbout, the lady from New Brunswick, instead of being one of the weaker vessels, quote-unquote, was none other than the accomplished Western statist Callie Curtis, who is now a candidate for the championship. At the termination of the ladies' contest at the Buffalo Rink on the night of the 6th, to the astonishment of the onlookers, the majority of whom enjoyed the joke, though some, with no humor in their souls, seemed disposed to find fault. To silence these grumblers and to set himself right before the public, Manager Harvey published the following card, in the local journal, journals of the eight. The impossibility of getting two first-class lady skaters to compete in a public match for your amusement induced me to have one of our finest male professionals, Callie Curtis, the star of the West, assume the role of a lady for the nonce, and it was my intention to have divulged the secret on Thursday evening. But during the contest that evening, the idea suggested itself to me that I could afford you a second evening's amusement, and in the interim, have the same skaters display their skill in our Rochester rink. This being accomplished, I lost no time in revealing to you the Star of the West, Sans Vail, Sans Wig, apologizing to you for the temporary deception conceived and carry out, carried out to amuse you. Some who were in, the, in on the secret predicted that the revelation of it revelation of it would be met with disapproval and this morning counseled me either to postpone the match indefinitely 
or allow Miss Godbout to preserve her incognito, my disinclination to disappoint you by failing to perform what I had advertised was an insurmountable objection to the first course, and my determination to reveal the secret, both in justice to you and to add fresh zest to the entertainment, precluded the adoption of the second. The kicker is the last line of the article. Curtis perpetrated a like spell among the good people of Pittsburgh and vicinity last season. That wasn't the only trouble Curtis got himself into while in New York skating. Another 1869 article from the same paper stated that Callie Curtis was recently arrested upon the charge of seduction, preferred by a chambermaid at one of the Rochester, New York hotels. But upon examination, he proved the falsity of the charge and was acquitted. So scandalous, right? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> wordy 19th century scandal if there ever was one. Well, and I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of women being called, quote, unquote, weaker vessels, but it was, you know, 1869. We've come a long way. <laughs> we have. I'd like to know what, I'd like to know what a charge for seduction was, though. I can only imagine, but, or how he, <laughs> That's but he didn't do it, but well, that's a story that I don't think we'll know the answer to. Well, there's some more research for you. Find out what a charge of seduction means. (laughs) I know. I'm going to have to look into that. All right. Continuing on. Despite his on-ice trickery and this off-ice allegation, Curtis continued to dominate skating in America during this period, winning the next four championships of America. In late October 1871, ice was installed at the Metropolitan Theater, and Curtis performed a great double and single comic and fancy skating act with Billy Burt in conjunction with a production of John Baldwin Buckstone's Green Bushes or A Hundred Years Ago. He was also an accomplished roller skater. Curtis was the organizer and manager of the Championship of the Pacific Coast in roller skating in San Francisco in 1872. According to a September 1st, 1872 article in the Daily Alta, California, he went through each piece before the contestants. He went through each piece before the contestants, and in their presence, Mr. Curtis was applauded to the echo when he led off in the first piece. He skims over the boards as gracefully with the clumsy roller skates as if he were sliding on smooth ice and performs as many different feats. His demonstration of the elements that would be judged at that event totaled over 20 different figures, steps, and specialties, embracing original and peculiar movements. Curtis also mentored a young skater named Johnny Cook of Cleveland, Ohio, who earned the reputation as the human top for his impressively fast spinning ability. Reportedly, his double flat spin, later popularized by Sonia Henney, was a sight to behold. Tragically, Cook died at only 20 years of age, never finding the same success in competition as his accomplished coach. And here's where the story of Callie Curtis collides with that of Mabel Davidson whose career and life I explored back on the Take Our blog in January. So if you want to check that out and learn more about Abel Davidson, uh, we'll certainly link to that as well. And a roller and figure skater from Concord, Massachusetts, named Carrie Augusta Moore, had put together an exhibition tour of Europe in 1873. Curtis headed over with E.T. Goodrich to skate in that tour, paving the way for the Davidson family, with Mabel as the star attraction, to tour London and Paris in 1896. The absence of the reigning champion 
would have obviously opened the door for a new champion, and I'm sure some of his competitors couldn't have been happier. An undated newspaper clipping from the era found in a Canadian Jewish Heritage Network, Louis Rubenstein collection, noted that Curtis was no longer a resident of Chicago and living now in Europe will not trouble the aspirants for his title with his presence. Certainly has a bit of a don't let the door hit you on the way out ring to it, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> it does. Bye. <laughs> Bye, Felicia. They're, they're, not, they're not missing him, are they? <laughs> they're not. They weren't, no. Well, although we weren't able to find much of anything about Curtis's later life, we do know that he never returned to America, and he continued skating in Europe after Moore's tour ended. In January of 1886, he competed at a figure skating competition in Germany, held in conjunction with the Hamburg and Altona Skating Club's International Speed Skating Tournament. The winner of the speed skating race was, of course, Norway's Axel Paulsen, but it was Curtis who finished ahead of Paulsen in the fancy skating event. He was second to Paulsen's third, the winner being a C. Werner of Christiana. And whether he was skating on a roller or figure skates, in men's or women's dress, outdoors on a pond or on a theater stage, beating American skaters or axle jump inventors, Curtis certainly made an impression everywhere he went. And I'm happy that we were able to unearth some of his story and glue together the broken base pieces without an understanding of where figure skating came from. We're never going to be able to get a firm handle on where it's going. That's true. I'm very interested to see those photos, to see what his Curtis Scar looked like and to see just some pictures of him, put, put a name to the yeah. face or a face to the name. Exactly. There are some great pictures. And the pictures of the Curtis Scar, I find, I mean, you've never seen, I mean, we've all seen those pictures of those, of those special figures that were, um, a really big part of figure skating in the 19th century and early 20th century, and were actually competed once at the Olympics. And they were just absolutely crazy to look at, I, just the complexity of them. I don't even, I couldn't even imagine how some of these skaters were able to carve these designs on the ice, because they certainly weren't figure eights. They were pretty complex. So the Curtis Star, pretty cool. Right, and and back then, I'm not even sure the Topic had been invented yet, so they did it all without Topic. No. I know. I don't even know how you could do that. I have no clue. <laughs> must been, there must have been something in the water back then that we don't know about. That's all I know. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this, Allison, and for joining me and helping share our story. And I'm very much looking forward to our next episode. Agreed. I can't wait. Thank you, Ryan. Mm-hmm.